What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blondes Building Equity. Um, you guys know for sure that we're in this amazing investor community. It's called Future Flipper and they just turned into Wealthy Investor. We talk about it all the time. And so this is one of our fellow students in our community. So I'm super excited to connect with him. His name is Daniel Kong. He was able to, after just three years of investing into real estate, quit his job with full financial freedom. And now he's running a seven-figure fix and flip business. That's insane. Wow. I think that's all of our goal. So everybody welcome Daniel Kong. Thank you. Thanks guys. I'm super stoked to be on board. Big fan of you guys. Love what you guys are doing. Excited. Just like the, the energy and this like the, the stuff you guys bring to the space. Thank oh. you. That's so sweet. And I think we're inspired by everyone in the, the coaching calls because everyone has a different story and perspective. And it's inspiring that so many people have gone from a normal job to now having financial freedom through investing in real estate. So how did you first get started with your first deal? I think it all started with like this little book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. I think a lot of people had the same. <laughs> I think opinion. that's all of us. Yeah, I think that's all of us. <laughs> I, literally, I mean, like I, I was just, I mean, I was working as a software developer as my W2 and just like, well, I live in Hawaii. It's kind of like a, a higher price point market. So like at the time I knew nothing about real estate. I never expected to like own a house. I was just planning to rent for the rest of my life because all my friends who bought houses, they had to eat like ramen because like they're barely making it as far as just affording the mortgage. And so I was like, I'm just going to rent for somewhere cheap and live my life. Just like, um, I never thought I could afford a house here in Hawaii, you know, and just, uh, the, but then I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then like that kind of opened my whole eyes to the idea of like passive investing and the whole like world that I didn't even know existed because just being like in a nine to five growing up, but going to college with my parents and, he was not exposed to like these kinds of things. And so mm -hmm. that kind of turned me on to this whole like, like new like world. And then from there, I just started educating myself, reading, podcasting, meeting people like yourselves, and then eventually got into our first deal. And then it kind of just scaled up from there. So how did your first deal go? Did you have a lot of money to put into it or did you use other people's money? So I actually didn't have any money or very little when I first started, but what I did was so I was working at W2 and so I took a, a loan against my 401k because you can take a loan against your 401k without penalty. And then yeah. I went to this, to like local banks and took out these things called personal lines of credit. So mm -hmm. personal line of credit is like an unsecured line of credit where you can go to a bank and just, you show them your pay stub and your credit score and they give you like 10, 20 or $30,000 in just like a line of credit. And so, and one day I went to like five banks, just walked to all five banks, applied at the same time because if you apply, there's nothing else that shows up in your credit card, on your credit score that says like you have debt out, right? So I'm like, I don't have any debt. Like this is what I'm, I'm going to apply for 20 grand, 30 grand, 15 grand. And so I got approved for like 15, 20, 30 here, 30. And then I got about 110,000 in just lines of credit from like five different banks. And these oh, are unsecured, wow. unsecured lines of credit, right? Because they're personal lines of credit. And, and so, so there's no, there's no interest on those, right? So there's no interest until you start using it. So like, it's a, okay. it's like a you if you don't ever touch it you pay zero interest but when you take it out you're paying like a daily interest until you put it back what's the interest on that it the, at the time it was like there's some introductory rates four five six seven eight nine percent but then oh. like for, like a simple example would be let's say you have line of credit for let's say like twenty thousand dollars and if you took out the full twenty thousand for a full year at let's say ten percent for simplicity's sake you would pay like two thousand dollars in interest for that whole over the course of that year right Mm -hmm. let's say you took out the 20,000 and you only held it out for like six months. Now you're oh. only going to get a thousand dollars for like an interest or let's, right. let's say you only took out 5,000 and you had it for six months. Now you're only paying $500 in interest. So like you can see right. like 
It just matters on how long you have it out. When you put it back in, you're not paying any interest again. Right. That's actually what we did on our well, on our second project. Mm -hmm. I was able. I wasn't a personal line of credit, but I did a business line of credit. Okay, so I, I used my previous business to mm -hmm. get, and we got approved for eighty five thousand, which okay. was great because then yeah, we use that as our down payment. Yeah. And but the interest is pretty high. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know if I would do it again, but I guess it's easier than dealing with an investor because you don't have mm -hmm. anyone to answer to yeah. but the interest is definitely really really high so it for us it was like it makes sense if we can keep rolling it over into a deal right did you find it easy to pay back that money pretty quickly so the first deal i did was uh because hawaii is such a high price point i decided to invest in indianapolis out of state where the price points are like a lot less so the first deal probably took about let's say like three or four months and then i was able yeah. to put it back into the to get the line, um, to um, do the deal, and then pay it back right afterwards. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty good. So how did you invest that far away from Hawaii? Isn't that a and lot so, of... I mean, it, seemed, it seems like very scary to invest in out-of-state, but literally all I did was I read David Green's book, like how to invest in out-of-state, and I just followed okay. everything that he said. It's, it just comes down to phone calls, calling references, and so like if you think about it, like even in your in your own like your own like a market there's probably like, people who like you trust and like if this person has a good reputation in my market like if i ask them for reference or get their advice then like i you can kind of trust them to be like to do the right thing right so if somebody has a good name in a market you can kind of like like believe their advice or trust that they're going to be like do the right thing because it took so long for them to build that name they're not going to throw it away on something something silly or stupid right so, but then who manages the property well like, how do you know your your contractors are there every day getting the work done? Do you have someone on the ground, like, checking in? So I, I through referrals and talking to a lot of people, I actually got a project manager for like, our renovation. So okay. uh, we nice. paid this project manager, like, 10% over whatever the renovation was. So if the renovation was 30000 you pay him 3000 If it's 50000 you pay him 5000 All he does is just, like, check up a few times a week with, with the contractors, making sure they're working, checking the, the worker because the contractor is not going to send you like the other bad work, right? So he's, mm -hmm. he's an advocate for me, paid by me. So his like loyalty is to me. And then he's just making sure that things are getting done moving along, et cetera. And so like the, he's kind of like, and he can also be like an a-hole to them on the ground or like, I mean, not a-hole, he can like be like the driver and then he can blame yeah. me. So like, Daniel's, Daniel wants this, Daniel wants this. So he makes a good relationship with them. So he has a good relationship with my contractors, but then he's also kind of like, um, the driving the driving the um, the ball down the field and making sure that things are getting done like on time and on budget. Wow, and ten percent that doesn't seem like very much. What are we paying ours? Well, the thing yeah. is, so oh. it's not it's not very much for for us as an investor, right? But you think about it. So this guy does it for a lot of other state clients, and so just visiting a project a couple times a week for three thousand dollars, right? I mean, it's not a bad bad gig. Just get like 10, 20 other investors now. Like I mean, like you add that up as far as his his time. It's not a very like his is like super worth it for him because he's 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 imagined a lot of projects for a lot of people and he just has to show up just visit. It's all within the same city, right? It's like in his wheelhouse and so like it's not like um from a ROI on his point is really good and the ROI and trust on our point is really good. So it's like a win-win situation for both of us. Right. Wow. Okay. And so now you're saying you're making seven figures flipping. Or did you transition and go to Hawaii or did you stay in different markets? Where are you flipping now? So yeah, I mean, great question. I started in Indianapolis because I didn't think I could play in the in the Hawaii market, and so. But eventually, after going to meetups and like talking to different people, I I thought, hey, why don't I take the same skills that I'm learning over here, fixing so burying out of state is the same thing as fixing flipping, but you just don't sell it, you refinance the back end, right? So my yeah. plan was to come to Hawaii and 
fix and flip over here because it's not a great bar market, but it's a great, it's not cash flow heavy, but it's good for fix and flipping. So a fix and flip here, make some active income and then pay for some like the, the bars that are going out of state. But I got very lucky when I came to Hawaii. Um, there's like a great network of people who are very helpful and like it's uh, got a few birds. Actually, my first couple deals over here in Hawaii, which actually led me to be financially free in, in just like three years. And so, and then now, and then, and then just continue to like fix and flip and burr here in Hawaii. So, wow. Well, how do you rent them out though? Is that difficult in Hawaii? Like, or do you do Airbnb or like long term rentals? So all the first ones we did were all long-term rentals. And then the, the trick is you're trying to find the, what you call like kind of multifamily. But then like, so in Hawaii, we don't really have too much multifamily, but we have these things called, they call them monster houses, but it's like a, a single family home with like, one of them is like 11 bedrooms and six baths, right? So it's like, but you can rent them out to like four different units because like the, they're kind of like meant to be like, like, so it's a single family house on tax records, but in reality, there's like separate entrances, separate kitchens, separate like living spaces. So you can kind of like actually rent them out like a quadplex. And so that's the kind of way that you can kind of house hack your way to getting cash flow here in Hawaii. And then now we're doing some Airbnbs as well too. But then it's like um, when we started, it was just all long-term rentals. Wow, amazing. And so with the market changing, with everything going on, how are you guys feeling in Hawaii? What's kind of your plan for the next year? Yeah. So actually like in Hawaii, like the market has shifted a little bit, but it's not like a big, I guess a big ship as some other places. And so like we are, because we are pretty conservative on our numbers in the front end, even though the market has shifted a little bit, we're still making profits, just a little bit less profit on our, on our, on our deals. And so like we're business as usual for us, we're looking to just continue fixing and flipping. And we're actually, I mean, the last year and a half, because we had a lot of success, we're actually looking to try and do bigger deals on the mainland that cash flow and give us some tax savings. So We've been actually buying commercial properties in Midwest states, and now we're just kind of getting into some multifamily deals where it's like a little bit larger and a little bit like better, better returns for like for our time. And how, who are you working with to find those deals out of state? Do you have wholesalers? Is it just from the community? How are you finding those deals for the multifamily? We kind of partnered up with, so for our commercial buildings, we partnered with some local guys who are actually already buying out of state. And so like they, they kind of built like a team and boots on the ground. So we're kind of like, we're paying to like use their, their, their team members to kind of like leverage like their team. And so like the brokers, contractors, all different pieces that you need for the puzzle. And so like we're piggybacking off the guys who are already kind of established over there. And then that's how we're picking up the commercial buildings. And then on the multifamily side, the same thing, we kind of joined like another network of just multifamily like syndicators. And so we're just piggybacking on top of their like success or their boost in the ground or like their their deal flow and like cash reserves. So what do you do? What do you mean you piggyback? Like if if they're the ones finding the deal, do you just put your money into invest or how are you also boots on the ground? So we're not boots on the ground, but one of the things is like so in our fix and flip um side, right? So like everything kind of like flowed together like naturally. So when I was doing the birds, I picked a skill set to how to like renovate and manage contractors. And so that brought it over to Hawaii to start investing here in Hawaii. The one thing here in Hawaii is their big price points because like the, the prices are a lot more expensive. So along with that means you have to raise a lot more capital. So in the last couple of years, we've been raising probably like, like millions of dollars, a lot of some social media actually, but just in private lenders or partnerships to kind of like do our, our deals. And right now we actually have like a small waiting list for like um, on deal flow for like our partners because people want to invest with us, but we don't have enough deals to handle the demand. So that's one of the reasons why right. we're looking at multifamily because in so far fixed and flip, we offer like a 12% like fixed rate. If the deal does good or bad, they just get like 12% like no matter what. 
But in the multifamily space, there's like the potential to like maybe make like 16 to like 22% on their money, right? The one downside is that it's like a five-year hold as opposed to like a one-year hold. Mm-hmm. But then like because we have like all this pent-up demand, like let's match this demand to like a bigger supply, which would be like the multifamily deals in like let's say Texas or Kansas City. And these guys yeah. are raising like, like $10 million for their deal. If you raise, let's say, $5 million for that deal, you get a piece of the equity as far as like the the, the general partner side or whatever kind of split that like that's going along with there. Along with like utilizing some of our team members on the Kansas City market just because we're we're buying commercial properties over there for like our own our own stuff too. So when do you get paid? Like okay, so you get equity in the deal. Do you get paid at all if you bring investors in or it's only the equity build? So then there's, there's like there's like a bunch of different ways to get paid. Then the the big the, the first thing is called an acquisition fee. So then like okay. uh, different guys will, will charge different kinds of acquisitions fees. Like some guys will charge high acquisition. Some guys will charge very little. The group that we're running with, they charge like an average, like 5% acquisition fee. So let's say you buy like a $10 million building. The acquisition fee would be, what is like, what's 5% of 10 million? Is it like uh, 50,000? 500,000, I think 500,000. Oh, so $500,000 acquisition fee on that, right? So then that acquisition fee gets split between whoever is like whoever who has a role in that. So let's say like I bring like on a $10 million or a $10 million purchase, and there's maybe like a $5 million raise, right? Let's say I bring the whole $5 million to fund this deal. Out of that 500000 maybe I'll get like 200000 as an acquisition fee on the front end. And then, right. and then the rest of the way is like on the, the cash flow. It's usually like a waterfall where the... The, the limited partners are getting the cash flow first, but if there's leftover, it'll go to like the GPs, usually like a 30-70 split. Where like, so we get like a little bit of cash flow depending on how cash flow heavy the deal is. And then on the back end, on the exit in the three to five years, that's when you get like the biggest payout as far as like the, the equity that you kind of get. So you get a little bit in the front. If you're having to manage a deal on the asset management side, you'll get like a little bit for like an asset management fee. If there's a refinance, something like a refinance fee, but then at the, the biggest payout is going to be at the very end on the equity when you actually sell the, the apartment at the very end. But then at the same time, just to bring in the deal on money, you get a, a small like chunk up front just for like being the acquisitions. Right. And so now everything that is turning, you're kind of focusing on raising funds and doing more syndications. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just well, so our fix and flip is still like the bread and butter. We're still like doing this. This is like the... I mean, like, it's, we're not going to stop doing this, but then, like, leveraging, like, the demand for, like, put people to place money and matching yeah. them to the bigger deals over here, right? It's like, and, and then yeah. that's also for tax savings because when you fix and flip, it's active income, so we get killed in taxes, right? So, yeah, invest in these, like, syndications or these bigger apartment buildings, cost sakes, bonus depreciation, you get to write off a huge amount of taxes and get cash flow. And so, burning commercial buildings and, like, on the, in the Midwest is, like, how we're avoiding taxes and also building up our cash flow. So for the um, acquisitions, do you get paid that right away, even if it's like a bad deal? Like, let's say you bring investors in and yeah. God forbid it's it's a cash losing deal, like no one really makes money. Do you still get the acquisitions free for bringing people in? Uh, you actually do. I mean, that's just, well, number one is like, you never want to get to a bad deal. So like, there should be no reason right. to be bad, right? Because like you should underwrite it conservatively. There's a lot of different things. Even and you're expecting the market to like be bad or like in the future because that's why it's like a three to seven door, like a three to seven like year window. So at year three, if the market's great, you sell then. If that year five, the market's great, you sell then. If it's not great, you can hold on to like the seventh year. But you should never lose money on your investors, assuming that the deal was underwritten correctly and then you have good operators who are running, right? But God forbid that it did happen. 
then like you, the acquisition fee comes at the very beginning and that's part of like the whole deal on the writing process. So when you're looking at the profit, it's basically like, it's just like a, like you pay a realtor as a commission for on the back end when you're fixing, like it's just built, it's built into the whole performance of the, of the deal. So the right. acquisition fee is paid up front to you as part of like the, the whole performance. Wow, I kind of like that. No, yeah, it's super awesome. And so how do you um, distribute, you know, funds to the LP? So what is their benefit? Say I came to you and I'm like, hey, Daniel, I would love to invest with you. I have a million dollars. What do you offer to those limited partners? So the first thing you're going to get in the, lim the, I mean, the, as a limited partner is basically like you're getting a piece of the deal, right? So like the, every deal has slightly different kind of like um, uh, breakdown of like profit and equity. Do you want to be more cash flow heavy? Do you want to take more risk? Right. And more like upside, whatever. But then, like, your number one is you should get a big um, tax, um, a paper tax loss in year one. So, like, let's say you invested a million dollars. Ideally, you get between, like, a five hundred to an $800,000 year one loss on, like, a, on paper. Just because they're going to do a cost thing and um, a bonus depreciation. I mean, so basically, like, the number one thing you get in the beginning is, like, a huge tax loss in year one. And yeah. then throughout the deal, depending on the, the structure and the type of assets you're flipping, you're gonna get um, cash flow during that time. So like whether they're like a little bit or a lot will depend a lot on the on the deal itself. Yeah. And then on the back end, hopefully the average syndication deal is double your money in five years. So if you wow. put in a million dollars in five years, you should get back two million. And that's kind of like the just like the standard you'll see across most syndication like other returns and models. Wow, that's amazing, especially because you get that tax write-off. So yeah. not only, so say you made a million dollars, anybody listening, and you are paying taxes where we live in California, and I think why is super high as well. You make that million dollars, then you actually only get, you know, 500K after all the taxes and fees and everything exactly. that happens. And then, so now you're pretty much quadrupling your money because now you're not paying taxes on that million and you're also doubling it. So if you can be patient mm -hmm. and wait five years, yeah. there's so much benefit, but you just have to work with the right syndicators. Yeah. I yeah. feel like you really have to have such... Um, like a strong relationship where they trust you. And so how do you feel like you formed that with your investors for them to really give you their money for five years? The, the big thing is just, we've had a great track record for like on our fix and flip sides, you know? And so like the, we just, I mean, like we're, we pride ourselves in like always doing the right thing, you know, whether it's, um, I mean like, and so we've never, we've never come close to losing, but like basically like the, whenever there's any kind of situations where like we could err in the, on our side or our investor side, we always want to give like the investors the benefit of the doubt, like, should we pay the extra inches for the month or these different kinds of things where like, and just making sure like they're informed, like they get to like know where their money is and keeping them like up to date and just kind of building like a good name for us in the community. And so I think like one of the things like you can like fix if you break it is like your name in the community, right? And so like, yeah. it's so important to make sure that you have a good name in the community as far as just like the doing the right thing and then like treating people like the right way. And then also just like keeping where you word whenever you, you promise something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. It's important. Yeah. And so now, so you've been in flipping how long? For four years now? Or flipping about three years, yeah, ish, yeah. Three years, yeah. So quick. Wow. So I guess you kind of got in at a pretty good time. Three years ago was kind of on the up and up, right? Well, I, I mean, like to be honest with you, I wish I got in ten years ago. If I got in ten years ago, I'd be like crushing it way more, right? So I'd be like <laughs> You just like 2008, right? Like that's like the prime time to get it in. So like you always want to be in, in the earlier, but I'm not complaining about like the, when I got in, but when I, when I did get in actually in the Indianapolis market, I was buying houses for like 50 to 70,000. Right. And so I was like, there were guys who were in the market who were bought those same houses for like 10 to 20, like two or three years ago. And I was like, shucks, I missed the boat. Like I'm like, the, it was too late for me. Like 
But now, like three or four years later, I'm like, I wish I could buy the same deals for 50 to 70, right? Because it's always, you always think like, oh, I missed the boat on this other thing. But then three or four years from now, you'd be like, wow, like 2023 was an amazing time to be able to get into real estate because 2027, now the, the prices are like even crazier or higher, right? Or there's less opportunity or whatever it is. Do you think they're going into a crash though? I know, this is my question. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's, it's super like location specific, right? There are so many things where like every location, so even if the whole like the whole um, country crashes, there'll be pockets that will crash harder and pockets that will crash less. And so even in 2008, when the market crashed, Hawaii was not hit as hard as some of the other places. And so even within Hawaii, there's like sub-markets. And so like the, the lower incomes, like I mean, the west, the west side of our island was hit harder than like the east side where people were more affluent. So like if you look at people who hold assets, hold real estate, and like they're, they're more wealthy, they're not buying properties with like with loans or they're using cash or different kind of things. And so like they're not as affected by like the market swings as opposed to like somebody right. who's like working a nine to five and they're trying to just kind of show to make ends meet or they need to qualify for the loan and Five hundred dollars difference in the markets make a big difference to them, and so, so depend, depending on what sub market you're in, even within your market, there may be a, a letdown or a, uh, increase. But from what we're seeing, Hawaii is relatively stable, and in the better markets, we expect it to even go up. But we're not underwriting like that, but we expect that to happen. So, wow, yeah, you're so right, though, especially like the how the market how the economy works like with the interest rates and everything the people that are getting the easier loans are getting a lot of handouts are the ones that are going to be affected the most in the end mm -hmm. so maybe there's markets that are just so different yeah yeah Absolutely. wow so if you could go back i mean i know you already said but if you could go back to three years ago obviously you learned so much i feel like every day we learn in this business it's crazy you can never know it all but if you could go back to three years ago with all the knowledge you have today what would you do? Like, what would your game plan be? I think, I mean, like, number one, like, educate and network super hard. But I think yeah. like, I would choose, like, my I would start in Hawaii as opposed to going to out-of-state first. Just because the big thing you're looking at is the ROI on your, your time, right? So, like, if you're doing, like, a deal, like, let's say, like, in, like, Indianapolis, in equity, you're making twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. But the deal in Hawaii, you're making one hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars for the exact same amount of time. And so, like, if you can, like, in, in retrospect, if I could spend more time, get a better return on my time in Hawaii as opposed to going out of state, I would have started here earlier. And I don't think I could have jumped into the syndication, like, as fast because it takes, like, a track record and kind of, like, um, to build up, like, your brand and, like, your credibility in order to have people trust you to be able to raise that kind of money. So if, yeah. I, could just, if I could just jump straight to multifamily, I would, but I don't think that's, like, very feasible. But fix and flipping, like, you can do it by yourself. It's a one-man show if you want to make it like that. And so I think... Maybe just starting in a higher price point market where the ROI and my time is better it will be probably what I would do, I think. Right. But also you learned a lot probably from those first few deals, though, mm -hmm. you know, because if you could have jumped into the higher price range, like, God forbid you did lose money, you would have lost 100000 versus yeah. losing maybe only 10000 That's true. Because right. the reason you made money in Hawaii and made really good money is because you put your time in with the smaller deals and you probably learned a lot of lessons that you brought to the bigger deals. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, and so I kind of want to know, what does your schedule look like every day? What do you do to kind of like, do time block? How, run me through your day to day. It's, I mean, so like, because, I mean, like, now that we are, are doing like, um, I mean, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you're just kind of like growing and doing your things, right? So like, it's kind of like, we stabilize one thing and then I want to start something else new. And so like the, 
Like we did the, the birds, now we want to do fix and flip. Now we want to do like uh, the next thing, air some Airbnbs. We actually like, me and a buddy, we just actually just bought a Lamborghini together. It's like this other like whole little venture. And so, but it's, it's a little business model. I can explain to, that to you later if you want to. But basically it's the constant of just trying to like do more and more and just like add more to my play is like a, a struggle for me. And so it's every day, just, I just want to like do more cool things and like like do more deals. And so just wake up at, I don't know, like, 8.30, we have like a touch point with our fix and flip team and then meetings, just a lot of networking and just talking with people and then like yeah. learning and then the, just checking in with like our team with what do they need and then eat somewhere good at night. We always like to eat out or just have like good food. That's <laughs> one of the, the joys of life, right? And then just watch yeah. Netflix at night and then just, yeah, just call it night. So not not super complicated, just enjoying what we do and just trying to build, build, build and do cool things. Yeah, but like doing something every day for your business, which I think... As an entrepreneur, sometimes it's hard with your schedule to fill it with things because right now we're kind of putting a hold on, you know, doing fix and flips because we want to wait until the market has a complete downturn. Yeah. But we're filling our time with like networking and meeting a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But you don't always realize the effect of that until yeah. later down the road when you need them. Like in five years when we have yeah. a huge deal that we want to syndicate, we yeah. put in the time for that relationship. Yeah. So I think if anyone's listening, um, that's something that's super important is making sure you're putting in the time for networking and meeting people, even when it doesn't feel like it, you're getting anything right it's, now out of it. Right really that. There's, there's no, so like, I think one of the hardest parts when you first starting out is that like you're doing all this work, learning, educating, networking, and you're getting zero return like immediately, right? Like it's going to take, you're going to see like years from now or like, like months or like a long time forward. And so like, the thing is, it's hard to continue to do these things when you don't see like the immediate payback. But yes. like, later, later on is when you're going to, it's kind of funny too, because when I first started, I like was, I, we try our best to just help people and like just out of the goodness of our heart, we enjoy like teaching and helping. And so, but it was never expecting to see any return from this. Right. But years later or, or like months later, people are like, I remember you Danny when, when I was first started and you helped me out. And so like, now I want to give you back this or whatever. And so we've got this so much like free or good things back from us just from like organically, yeah just helping people, educating, pointing them in the right direction. And just, it's just like, like networking has played a huge part of our business now when by right. putting in the work two or three years ago when we, when we first started. So. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No, that's so amazing. And so you, you said you have a team. So mm -hmm. what does your team consist of? And like, when did you start acquiring that team? In the beginning, were you doing acquisitions, project manage, all of that yourself? And then when did you get a team? And I was doing it, I was doing it all myself. I think maybe like, two years ago we hired like a couple of virtual assistants to kind of help a lot with a few things and then early like last year or kind of like the middle or early parts of last year we started just onboarding more and more people as we got more work so we have like a operations manager we've got a full-time admin we've got three virtual assistants we've got like a realtor who's like kind of dedicated to working with us and we've got four interns and so like it's uh what is a virtual assistant so you said you have four of them because we yeah, had yeah. one for a while that we didn't feel like we got the return on our investment. Yeah. So one of the so one of the virtual assistants helps a lot with our social media. So like she's she helps with like just I mean like I mean like graphics, design, scheduling, a lot of things like and then posting on our, our Facebook like pages and stuff like or like on the and just and just general like so a lot of one one of the big parts of social media is engagement. And so like the <laughs> the when when you're when you're you're trying to build a brand or trying to grow organically, like the more people you kind of reach out to the more people will kind of respond or like reach back out to you, right? So if you think about like, you've got like a thousand people on your on your friends list, you only you will probably like type 
talk to like five of them, right? But the reason yeah. why I talk to five of them is because they, they're responding to you or they're giving you value. And so one of the jobs of our social media girl, a virtual assistant is just outreaching. And then I taught her how to sound like me. So she says like, bro, man, she, she does all her things. And it's so like, in the beginning, it's like I slowly trained her in my voice where she can respond to all her comments. So like when we get like a, a comments or like a post, it's typically like never really not me who's responding to all of the comments, but like you need to engage with people, right? And so like right, we've been yeah. over the years, mm-hmm. we're just engaging on social media. So like one of the virtual assistants is like our engagement and like kind of social media specialist. Another assistant is just bookkeeping because it's like there's so much like recording and things, keeping track of bank accounts, projects, different kinds of things, and uh, yeah. organizing, <laughs> organizing the chaos of bookkeeping, right? So another one. How is- do you trust them with um like access to all of that though? I think that's just a scary thing. Like, how do you build that relationship to where you're like, okay, here's my bank password and my account and everything? So there's a, we use this app. It used to call it Personal Capital. I think it's called Empower now. But basically, what it does is it aggregates all of your um, your bank accounts and then into like a, just a, da- a view only dashboard. So she can see all the transactions. She just she's not actually logging into the bank accounts, but it's oh. like she can see all the transactions. So she'll, she'll so she'll log into like the dashboard that has all the bank accounts linked to it. Then she'll put it onto like a Google Sheet and like organize it. And then we also have like real Slack and stuff. What's, that? So- What's it called? It's, I think it was called personal capital, but now it's called empower, I think. Okay. Okay. We're writing this down because wow, we really, and really need it. Our team uses Slack so for all of our communication. And like, so we have like this channel called like our accounting channel. So whenever anybody makes a purchase, they just put it into the accounting channel. So like, this is like what I, this is what I bought. Here's a picture of the receipt. And this is like what's for, what's for the, the category. And so our VA will take that, match it up to our record in QuickBooks where like it, it is, and then categorize it accordingly. And then build us charts or whatever as far like our, our, our project dashboard. So like basically. Wow, I would pay so much money for that. Yeah, I mean, if we like, spent I mean, so much time organizing it. Daily, <laughs> so daily reconciling all your finances and on, we're using virtual assistance. So like they're for the, the pay for like the scale level is like relatively higher. I mean like the, you're paying relatively low price for like a, a like the, like a, she a CPA, right? So she has like a accounting background and stuff, but it's very reasonable compared to what you would pay somebody like equivalent on the US and so. Wow. So amazing. And so when you, like, how do you find your deals? How do you find your deals in the beginning versus how do you find them now that made your flipping mm-hmm. business become so successful? So in the beginning in Indianapolis, it was all wholesalers. Yeah. But in Hawaii, because there's like no, um, there's like a lot less deals, there's less wholesalers. So it was like oddball marketing. We did direct mail, um, uh, mail, I mean like the texting phone calls, we built a website. So like our recently our website has kind of been the biggest driver press right now. We have like a pay-per-click and SEO that's pretty strong. So if you type in Summer House Fast Hawaii, probably our site will like be one of the first to pop up in like the in the organic and also in the um, the pay-per-click searches. And so that's been a big driver. And then also like networking with agents. And then now that we have like a credibility, other investors want to partner with us. So they'll bring us a deal and then we'll, we'll run the deal and then we'll split the profits 50-50 with them. So... Oh, wow. yeah. Who does the deal then? Like, who has the contractors and everything? But we, we bring everything. We bring the money. We bring the contractors, everything. Bring us the deal, and then we'll, we'll run it. We'll run together, and then we'll split the profit. And we'll teach you along the way, too. So it's a good it's a good deal for us because we get a little bit extra deal flow, and then like we build goodwill in the community, and then the 
the, um, the investors get to learn and they get 50% and they get the safety of knowing that we know what we're doing, right? Because if you yeah. do it for yourself, it's a lot more scary, like contractors, they're like raising money, all the different kind of things. But because we have it all built in already, you just we'll add another project to like our, um, our project board and teach you along the way. If you want to, you can work as little or as much as you want. Some people are like, I want to be really hands-on. I want to put in the work. Other people are like, just give me my check at the end. So whatever it works for you as a, as an investment. Why 50%? That's so high for a deal. It is, but the thing is, like the we we just I mean to us like the relationships and goodwill matter more than just like the deal itself, right? So if you look yeah. at the actual deal, it they're not we're we're giving way more value than what we're getting as far as like the the deal flow and the, and the this profit share. And so from a single deal perspective, it doesn't make sense to do that. But if you look at the long term goal of like what you're trying to build as far as like your name in the community, the credibility. And then helping these other investors who are like starting out when they actually become famous or when they do better now they're going to be they're going to trust you or want to work with you more in the future right so it's like in a small microcosm like it doesn't make sense in this one deal but if you look at it in the larger picture and a longer time horizon now this starts to make sense when the more you give the more you can like add value the more that you'll kind of like build or, or build in the future Wow. I, yeah. I really like that. I'm super impressed with you. And I think what you built has been amazing, especially over three years. And I think that can be inspiring for a lot of people mm -hmm. listening. I mean, it's just a short, you know, you think about three years in the span of like mm -hmm. your life and what you can accomplish. And you, mm -hmm. you have a team and you have four virtual assistants and you're making seven figures in your business per year. And that's so, so inspiring. So I'm so glad that you were able to come on the podcast because this is, yeah, yeah, this has been really inspiring for us as well. And so do you primarily now, you've built this community in Hawaii, do you really believe that when you stick to one market, you have a lot more leverage and you can really dominate that market? I feel like it's, yeah, I, I think so. And I think Hawaii is like a very unique market just because like uh, we're a little bit separate from like the mainland US. There's a lot of different, like just the demographics are different, the culture is a little bit different. So I think like by focusing in Hawaii, we have the biggest ROI and our in our return and just the place, the price points, a whole bunch of different things. A lot of yeah. our investors, private money lenders, like they only want to invest in Hawaii because they can see and touch it versus they're a little bit more scared to go out of state because it seems a little more scary for them. So like, I think for us, it just makes a lot of sense to just stay in our market just because there are a lot of like, um, side, I mean, like, like, um, adjoining kind of like, um, benefits of just being inside of the Hawaii market. Wow. Yeah, no, this has been amazing. I've learned so much and it's nice to be reminded of things, how we can improve our business as well. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, seriously. And so everybody listening, Daniel's provided so much value. We're going to leave all his links below where you can find him on social media, all the fun stuff. So if you want to connect with him, send him a message, follow him, link with him. And everybody listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, um, give us a follow, give us a comment, and see you guys next week on Blonde's Building Equity. Great. Thank you, guys.